Amen. You guys can take a seat. I uh, just spilled communion all over my iPad. So this is sermon's either going to cut off about halfway through and I'm not going to know what I'm saying, or this is a holier message. We'll find out. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name is Rory. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that you've joined us. Man, I can remember I was, uh, I was 17 years old, and I had just walked into a Macy's at a mall, which feels now like the most foreign thing you could do. I walked into a Macy's, and I was there to, to pick up a shirt for a wedding that I had to go to. And I go into the men's department, and a store associate comes up to help me. His name was Alex, and Alex says, hey, you know, I work here. He doesn't say, hey, I work here, but he's like, hey, I work here. How can I help you? And I said, man, I'm looking for a shirt for this wedding. And he starts to help me out. But you know, you can, you can tell pretty quickly with people when they start helping you at a restaurant or at a store if they're excited to be at work or if they're not. And Alex was definitely not excited to be at work that day. So he helps me. We're sort of looking through all the shirts, coming through the racks, pulling up the different things. And I have this moment, this very awkward moment. It was strange for me. I'd never experienced anything like this before, where as I'm sitting there talking with him, he were help, he's helping me find a shirt. That's all that's happening is I start hearing this voice sort of play over in my head that says something along the lines of, Alex, this man in front of you, used to be a deep man of faith, but now he feels isolated and disconnected and is hanging on to life by a thread. I hear this voice in my head. The first time, I'm like, that's strange. Second, third, fourth, fifth time, on and on, I'm like, well, this is getting a little interesting. One of two things is happening here. Either A, I'm right, and what's being said in my head is true, or B, I need to check myself in to a hospital as soon as possible. So I'm a very direct person, so I'm like, we're going to find out how this is going. So I look at Alex and I go, hey man, this might be a weird question to you, but um, what do you think about God, like the idea of God? He just sits there for a minute, crosses his arms, starts shaking his head, doesn't really look at me, looks down at the ground. Shakes his head this way, looks up at the sky. Shakes his head this way. I'm like, what, is, what are we doing here? <laughs> and he goes, man, I used to believe in God, um, but not so much anymore. He starts telling me a little bit about his life. He starts telling me that he was once deeply connected to a church, has since walked away from it, been disowned by his family, not sure that he believes in God, at least the way that people believe in it. He also begins to tell me that his mental health is in the gutter, that the idea of taking his own life seems like not such a bad idea. And I have this moment internally where I go, am I becoming Spider-Man? Like, do I have a, a spidey sense for people? What is, like, what is happening? Externally, though, I was like, oh, man, tell me more. Internally, I'm like, I'm becoming a superhero. I have this moment, it like, it like rattles me into a point where I'm like, I don't know what just happened. How in the world did I know this about this guy who I've never met, never knew his name, didn't anything? A couple of days go by, I talked to a friend of mine who was a pastor of mine, and I said, hey, his name is Mark. I said, hey, Mark, here, here's this thing that sort of happened, super bizarre, I know, like you probably think I'm crazy. And he goes, oh, man, that sounds like maybe like the spiritual gift of discernment or something. And I go, um, what's a spiritual gift? I was 17. I'd been a Christian for like, I don't know, 10 months or something. He's like, well, a spiritual gift is like a, um, I don't remember how he explained it exactly, but it's like an ability that's given to you by the Spirit of God and used to sort of build up the body of Christ. I was like, so God has given me the ability to read minds? Stand still. Let me try this one more time. 
And he goes, no, 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 it's not, he's like, it's not like that. It's not like you can't just, you're not like conjuring up stuff. And he's like, you're not a magician. I go, but am I Spider-Man? He goes, no, you're not Spider-Man. He goes, it's a, it's a gift. It's something that's been sort of imparted to you. It's a blessing given by the Spirit. And it, the benefit of it is to use it to raise other people's lives up. And he goes, you know, it's a spiritual gift. And I go, man, I, you keep using this word spiritual gift. I've never heard this word spirit, these, these two words, spiritual gift before. And he goes, you don't know what a spiritual gift is. I said, man, listen, I've been a Christian for like 10 months. Like I have no idea what a spiritual gift is. And he goes, do you have any idea like what your spiritual gift is? And I was like, man, if I don't know what a spiritual gift is, how am I going to know what my spiritual gifts are? I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And for many of you, that's sort of the, the attitude, the posture, when the idea of spiritual gifts get talked about in a church. You hear it, you're maybe like vaguely familiar with the idea of it, but the way that it personally impacts you or the way that it sort of exists in your life, at the very least feels vague and maybe in most cases feels confusing. This is true if, if this is your very first time in church or maybe you haven't been in church in a while and you're just sort of hearing me talk about this, but even if you grew up around church, spiritual gifts might be maybe closer to your vocabulary, but the way in which they're implemented and brought about into your life still seems to be a little bit detached. And we've been in a conversation for the last almost 24 weeks now, which is crazy to say out loud. We're going to wrap this series up next week. I promise we're going to be done. We spent eight weeks talking about who God is as a father, how we see him presented as God, the creator throughout the scriptures. And then we spent eight weeks talking about who God is as the son, as the, the sacrificial giver of life, Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the Holy Spirit, and that's where we've been. And, and what we know about spiritual gifts is that the Spirit is the source of them. It's where it comes from for us. But, but what I want to do today is spend some time not helping you understand what your gifting is. I don't know that I can do that in 25 minutes or so. Um, I want to give us a holistic view of what the spiritual gifts are and how they work within our lives. Sound good? So before we do that, we're going to open to 1 Corinthians, but I'm going to go ahead and pray. God, we, um, we come to you today recognizing that none of us walk into church empty-handed, that we all walk in carrying something, that we walk in carrying the joys and celebrations of life, but we also walk in carrying the burdens and the anxieties and the fears of life, that we walk in with the reality of what goes on in our world and what goes on in our home and what goes on in our workplace. And so, Jesus, as we sit down, as we open the scriptures, we don't ask that you would remove those things. We simply ask that you would meet us in the space that we are in. That you, as we read these words that have been penned thousands of years ago, somehow through the Spirit, you would speak to us and give us a clear view of who it is that you have called us to be. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, before we, actually, Jake, I lied. Before we read it, I want to throw up that list of spiritual gifts. So when we think about spiritual gifts, as you look across the scope of the New Testament, there's, there's roughly 20 to 22-ish gifts that are listed in the New Testament. There's sort of some debate around how many there are. These are just the ones that we can sort of sit down in and recognize. And again, it would, it would take way too long for me to sort of break down each of these and explain to you what all of them are. But some of you, you can look at a list like this and you can recognize yourself, right? You can see the gifts in your life that the Spirit has blessed you with that you've used both here in church, but also outside of the four walls of the church, right? To carry a gift into the church is about the body, not the building. 
Some of you, though, you look at this gift and, and you, the, this list of gifts and you sort of think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't know where I find myself in any of these. In fact, some of these are just flat out weird. Is administration like a gift? That's usually just the thing we sort of like offload to assistants and people to do that kind of stuff. Is giving a gift? It is. Some of you look at it and read voluntary poverty and you're like, I don't want that gift. Some of us have been forced into poverty. It wasn't voluntary, but we're going to treat it as a gift anyways. You look at this list. Some of you can find yourselves. Others of you, you're going, I'm not, I'm not sure where I sort of fall into this thing. Two things I want to say as we think about gifts before we hop into the scriptures. The first thing is this. Everyone who sits in this room has at least one spiritual gift. The, the Spirit does not discriminate as he blesses us with gifts. So if you're a man or a woman, you've been given a gift and you've been called to use it. If you're black or white or anything in between, you have been given a gift and you have been called to use it. If you're young or old, you've been given a gift and you have been called to use it. That's the first thing. The second thing that I want to say before we read is that the gifts are not in competition with one another. This is where most people sort of struggle with gifting because as they look around, they see other people with gifts and they kind of go, man, I wish I had that gift. That gift would be so much more fun to have than the gift that I have. The gifts are not in competition with one another. The gifts are meant to support one another, which means that wherever you find yourself on this list or in your life if you've, as you've evaluated yourself and the way the Spirit has gifted you, this should not create insecurity for us, shouldn't create jealousy for us, shouldn't create bitterness. It should actually just create a sense of identity and purpose, recognizing how it is that God has gifted us. Now, to Paul's words, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says this, now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. In other words, what Paul is about to say, he thinks is important. It's worth talking about. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Now, Paul does some interesting work in this letter as he writes it to this church in Corinth. He says, concerning the spiritual gifts, it's something I want you to pay attention to. I want you to be focused on. What's interesting, though, is the wording that he uses about spiritual gifts. He doesn't exactly say spiritual gifts. He uses the word pneumaticos, which pneuma, spirit. Pneumaticos is simply the spiritual things. He uses sort of a general term to talk about it, which should help us a little bit that what Paul has to say about the spiritual gifts is actually just a statement about all of faith all of spirituality, all the ways in which we engage with it. So what Paul says, the way that he starts his sort of logic and reasoning about the spiritual gifts, is he starts by talking about who these people were before they became Christians. 
He says, before you became Christians, you were pagans, read far from God, part of a, a worldview or a religion that didn't worship Jesus as the son. He says, long ago, you were pagans. And he uses this phrase, he says, you worshiped mute idols. Now think about that for a second. Why is Paul sort of talking about the kind of gods that they worshiped? Well, you think about a mute idol. A mute idol would have been something that's set up on a platform and when you went to worship it, you gave it a lot. You gave it a lot of words, you prayed, you sacrificed. And what we know about things that are mute in the world in which we live is that mute things have nothing to say. They have nothing to contribute back. So what Paul is starting his point as, he is saying the idols that you once worshiped were the kind of gods who did nothing for you. They didn't bring anything into your life. They didn't supply anything. They didn't sort of present anything to you. They didn't give anything to you. They actually just sat there. The word mute that Paul uses can easily be translated as the word dumb, which I love when Paul has these moments. He says, the idols you worshiped were stupid. They were dumb. They didn't bring anything to the table. Now, why does Paul make this point? Well, because the God of Christianity is anything but dumb, and the God of Christianity is always giving. In fact, think about the scripture. Some of them you know really well. John 3.16, some of you can say this with me. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have eternal life. So the picture that John paints is there is a God of the universe, and the only way he knows how to live is to what? Give. I think of the words of Jesus towards the end of his life. It's John chapter 14 is where it comes up, starting in verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, he says this to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He keeps going. He says, this will be the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So the God of the universe gives his son. The son out of love sends the spirit as an advocate. And then Paul, in the words that we just read, says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. Same word, gives them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. All of this to say that the gifts that the spirit has given us reveal the character of who God is, that he is generous and giving. It's also to say this simple truth. The source of every gift that we carry is the spirit. Now, why is this important to make note of? This seems like a very obvious thing. We're talking about spiritual gifts. It's in the name. To say that our gifts, the source of our spiritual gifts are from the Spirit is to also say, we are not the source of our spiritual gifts. Which in, listen, we're all Americans in this room. We love to see things that we like, go get it, own it, take ownership of it. We can't look at a list of spiritual gifts like the one we just looked at and go, you know what? I think I like those three. So I'm going to go ahead and claim those. And the voluntary poverty one, we're going to go ahead and let that one slide. We can't look at it and go, you know, I really like preaching, leading, but the like chastity one, we're going to let that slide. Paul's point is, if the Spirit is the source of our gift and it's a revelation of who God's character is, you, in fact, are not the source. You do not get to look and claim the gifts that you want. You have been given a gift. It is a blessing. It is a good thing. 
And if we can't just look at a list and sort of drum up the ones that we want, what it also means is it would be brutally inaccurate for us to attempt to live out a gift that we have not been given. Some of you know what this looks like. Some of you have sat in a church service before where you've seen someone preach. Who has in fact not been given the gift of preaching? And you did not want to leave any faster. Some of you have been in a church service or a religious environment where someone is attempting to heal someone. Who does not have the gift of healing? And everyone is massively uncomfortable. People will leave that moment with trauma and scars. Some might even walk away from faith. There is never anything worse than someone being administrative who is not administrative. Ask Jenna Stoddard. She runs all of my credit cards now. There is nothing worse in the kingdom of God than watching people attempting to operate in a gift that they have not been blessed with. There's also nothing more beautiful than watching people live out the gift that God has given them. You've seen it. Because I would guess some of you go to church because you have been blessed by the gifting of someone else. Someone who has the gift of wisdom or prophecy has spoken truth into your life and your life changed because of it. Some of you came in contact with people who carried the gift of pastoral leadership and you sit in this room because of it. Some of you have met people who had the gift of mercy or hospitality and your life has been touched and transformed because of it. There's nothing more beautiful than when people recognize that the source of their gift is the God who has given them the gift and there's nothing that they can do about it but use it. Simultaneously, because we're humans, when we recognize that we have a gift, a temptation arises and it is to be recognized for the gift that we have and use, which the second thing I wanna tell you today about the Spirit and the way that He gives gifts is if the source of our gifts is the Spirit, the fuel for our gifts is humility. The fuel for our gifts is humility. I think about the words that Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. Some of you, you can quote this as well. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Notice what Paul says as he begins to talk about gifts to the church in Rome. He's making the point that the thing that sort of undergirds all of our gifts as we use them is not an awareness of how great those gifts are, but it's an awareness of the humility that we must bring into it every time that those gifts get activated. He uses the phrase, don't think of yourself too highly, which is to look at someone and say, don't be arrogant about the good things that you have. He says, instead, use what? Think with a sober mind. Now, when he says sober mind, he doesn't just mean you haven't had one too many the night before. When he uses sober mind, the way that the Greeks often translated that, someone with a sober mind was someone who was perfectly sane, which means someone with an unsober mind was someone who had gone crazy. Paul's essentially looking at the church in Rome and he's saying, when you use these gifts, don't act like a crazy person. 
recognize that the source of your gifts is the Spirit. You have been blessed with them. Now use them, but use them in a way that benefits others without you having to be the center of attention. And I know there's irony as someone preaching says that. But Paul says every gift that you have, use it with humility. Let humility be the thing that fuels your gift. I love the way that theologian Charles Hodge, he talks about this moment in Romans. He says these words. He says, a right estimate can never be other than a very humble one. Since whatever there is of good in us is not of ourselves, but of God. So notice his word. It's not that there's not something good here. It's not that a gift is not good. It's that we must continue to recognize the source. And as we operate in that gifting, we continue to keep that at the forefront of our minds. I think of Paul's words to the church in Philippians. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So if humility is the thing that sort of drives it, we got to clarify something because often when I talk with people about humility or what it means to be humble, they turn it really, humility for them is just self-deprecation. It's how not great they are. And that's not actually what Paul is talking about. I would say it this way when we think about humility, a better way to think about it is humility is not the act of putting yourself down. Humility is choosing to recognize that everything great about you is a gift from the spirit and you are to then bless others with it. Which means, friends, as you use your gifts, you may never get the credit for it. A few years ago, I got invited down to the Dominican Republic to meet with some friends of the church that I was, I was serving at. And I met a guy there, his name was Pablo. And Pablo had become a Christian earlier that year. His life was completely changed. And Pablo, in a decision of living out his calling of using his gifts, man, this dude was a pastor to the fullest. He went and became a chaplain in one of the largest prisons in the Dominican Republic. And I was like, that's not my gift, you, can, you got it. He went and became a chaplain at Santiago Prison. And what Pablo began to do was he began to disciple this group of guys. He took it, it was about 11 weeks long. It was the same program that he had went through at this church that he was coming from. And he walked these guys through it. And before you know it, what Pablo is doing is setting up like house churches in prison cells all throughout this prison. And people are getting saved by the hundreds, by the thousands. They're having parties to celebrate it. They're baptizing people in the prison yard. It's an incredibly beautiful thing. Simultaneously, the warden, his name was Fernando. Fernando began to take notice of what was going on because he's like, why one, why are my prisoners behaving so well? But the second thing that puzzled him was, why are these prisoners not coming back to jail after they're being released? Because that was the expectation. Prison in the DR, this is often the case in many third world countries, is just sort of like a holding tank. We know that they're coming here, they did something wrong, we'll let them out, we'll see them back here in a few short times. But what they were finding was it wasn't just that their lives were being transformed in prison, their lives are also being transformed out of prison. 
So we got invited to come down and, and see what was going on here. And they asked me to speak at this sort of celebratory moment for all these prisoners. We walk into the prison and um, I've been arrested before. Some of you have heard that story. I've never been in a prison, so I am still slightly intimidated in there. I'm like, I could have been here, but I didn't. Um, we're walking through and everyone is wearing navy. This is like the color of, of an inmate there. And we're waiting for the celebration to start. And what's beautiful is we all of a sudden see a hundred or so inmates walking in who are not wearing Navy. These are all graduates of this program. That day they were all allowed to wear all white because today was not a day where they were a prisoner. Today they were not being held captive. Today they were being reminded that they were being made into something new. This happened because of the pastoral work of a man named Pablo and the leadership of a prison warden named Fernando. And here's what's even crazier. It's Fernando, who at the time wasn't a Christian, began to call all of his uh, warden buddies. I guess you have warden buddies if you're a prison warden. Saying, listen, you, you need to have this in your prison. The lives of these prisoners are being changed. So Pablo, what he does now is he travels from prison to prison and trains other chaplains to disciple these people in this way. Literally thousands of people have given their life to Jesus and transformed pieces of that community because of two guys. Here's why I tell you this story, not to tell you how great they are. To tell you that outside of this moment, you would have never heard about them. Pablo is not going to be an Instagram influencer. Fernando is not going to give a TED Talk. They're not going to get booked to speak at whatever massive Christian conference you can think of. They're not going to get a book deal. They're going to spend their entire life serving in obscurity and humility, using the gifts that have been placed in their lives by the Spirit of God. There's no option for them. This is just what it means to bring the kingdom of God closer to earth. But can I tell you, friends, the same call extends to all of us to recognize the places where we have been blessed and been gifted and to recognize those things as good and meaningful, but to serve in such an obscure way that people may never know who we are, that people may forever be unaware of the way in which you used your gifts. The other thing I love about that story is that those guys were not just being made Christians in jail and then being sent out. They were being formed in the image of God, being Experiencing, experiencing deep spiritual formation and then being sent out into the world and their whole lives changed. The way they parented, the way that they were in relationships, the way that they were in businesses completely changed, which is to say this, to echo the words of Paul, the ultimate sign of our gifts is the fruit of our gifts. And the fruit of our gifts is for the good of everyone, the actual good of everyone, not just their religious benefits, but the good which impacts all of their lives. I think of Paul's words in, in verse 7 in that, that letter to the Corinthians. He simply says this. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the what? The common good. But here's what's wild about the way Paul writes common good. The good that he's referring to is anything but common. The word that he uses there is profitable. Those of you that run businesses or or have led a business before, your accountants, you know what that word means. It doesn't mean that everything is just flat and plateaued, that life is just okay. It is the idea that life, when you experience someone's gifts being used through the Spirit, your life goes up and to the right. 
both here and now and quite literally into eternity. The word that Paul uses there is to say that when you experience the goodness of someone's gift being poured out, your life will be forever changed. But that's not all that Paul thinks about the way that we experience the gifts. I think of his words and back in Romans chapter 12. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member, listen to the words, belongs to all the others. Which is to say, when you step into church on a Sunday, you are not an isolated human being. You become part of a larger community. We all belong to one another. So do me a favor, look to the person to the right of you. Look at the person to the left of you. This is always so funny to watch from up here because no one's actually looking at each other. They're all just looking at like the backs. Look at the person behind you. If there's no one behind you, just give someone a high five, I guess. Look at the person in front of you. When you come to church, when you use your gifts, it is about those people. The way that Paul paints the picture is we belong to one another and the good of your gift is for the common good, the profitable experience of everyone that you come in contact with. Here's what's beautiful about that. We've already seen moments and stories like that unfold here at New Life East. I think of a couple weeks ago, our team showed up at, at Grand Peak Academy in the morning. We love Grand Peak. If someone from there is watching, we love Grand Peak. But the bathrooms were a mess. An absolute mess. So messy. I'm just going to be honest here. I saw it and went, maybe it'll clean itself up. And I just kept walking. I was going to come back. I was going to come back. I think. So I walk away. When I had that moment, I need to go back and clean all that up. I come back and I see the Nadler family. Some of you know the Nadlers. They are coming out of the janitor's closet, gloved up those little scrunchy things on your shoes, hair nets, mops, garbage cans, Swiffers, vacuums, and they are heading straight for the bathroom. And I was like, no, stop. But the, <laughs> I'm 23 seconds over, I'm just getting honest as we go. They go in there and they spend the next 20, 30 minutes scrubbing that bathroom as clean as I've maybe ever seen it. Now, here's why I tell you that. Not to say we should all be like the Nadlers, although we should. I talked with that family after that service and I was like, why'd you guys go in there? And she looked at me and she was like, well, someone needed to do it, one. But she looked at me and she went, what we know to be true is that this could be someone's very first Sunday here at New Life East. Someone who's on the fringes of faith, maybe someone who's on the fringes of life. And as they walk in here, they may never even make it to the worship center because they're gonna walk into that bathroom and it's gonna be such a mess that what they're gonna do is just walk out of the front door. They said, we clean that bathroom for the sake of someone's eternity. I was like, man, yeah. I walked by the bathroom, they walked in it. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what it looks like when we use our gifts without anyone knowing that we're gonna do it. I think of our dear friend, Cindy McIntosh. Did like one person clap for Cindy? No, that was an accident. Oh, okay, cool. No, it's fine. She doesn't need the recognition. 
We held a few months ago, we held a clothing drive here for our friends at Nueva Vida. We were going to help support them as they start this clothing bank. They already have a, a food bank going, and Cindy, she took all the clothes that we had, she took it down to Nueva Vida, and as she was dropping them off, she noticed that the food bank was quite disorganized, quite a mess. And Cindy, with her gift of administration, she didn't just look at it and went, well, this is a mess, someone needs to fix this. Cindy drove straight to Home Depot, grabbed a bunch of storage containers and shelving racks, and she went back that afternoon, spent her afternoon putting those racks together, resorting, reorganizing everything in that food bank. Now, I don't tell you that because Cindy's great and you should all be like, Cindy, I tell you that because what Cindy did was saw a problem. She knows she had a gift. She used it. She then released and recruited people to help maintain it. Cindy didn't do that because that room was a mess. Cindy did that because she knows that there are families who show up there every week for groceries and their livelihood is determined by what happens in that space. And when you have the gift of administration, you know that how organized the place is will show you how efficient and how good it is. That is why Cindy did that. I tell you that sto those stories to say, we're already seeing this break out at New Life East, but I also wanna extend a challenge to many of us in this room, because I know that there are many of us, I know all of us carry the gifts that the Spirit has imparted on us, but I know there are portions of us who have never been courageous enough, brave enough to step out and use those gifts. But here's what I want to tell someone in this room, is that if you call New Life East home and you aren't serving, if you aren't using your gifts in the world, you're not just neglecting your gifts, you're also neglecting the good of those who sit to the right and to the left of you. Most of us, when we don't use our gifts, when we don't step out, we think that all that's happening is we're sort of sacrificing ourselves, but what's really happening if Paul's words are right, that when our gifts are used, the common good, the better life for people comes to fruition, then what we're actually doing when we choose to sort of suffocate and restrict the things that the Spirit has blessed us with, is we're not actually hurting us, but we're hurting everyone around us. The kinder way to say that is we need you. The church needs you. Our community needs you. Our state needs you. Our world needs you. So if you have the gift of administration, help the church get organized. Help people organize their nonprofits, their ministries. If you have the gift of leadership, step up and lead. If you have the gift of teaching, it might be on a platform here, it might be teaching kids and students what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you have a gift, do not suffocate it and restrict it. Let it out so that those people who sit to the right and to the left, in front and behind you, can actually experience the common good that Paul talks about. New Life East, would you stand with me this morning? What I want to do as we step back into worship is give you a space to contemplate some things. Jake, if we could throw those two questions up on the screen. I'd love it if everyone in this room would simply ask these two questions of themselves. Which gifts has the Spirit blessed me with? What are those things as you think back to that list? Maybe you need to scroll through your Bible, run a quick Google search. What are the things that the, the gifts that the Spirit has blessed you with? And some of you, you can answer that question really quick. Like you can pin it down. So for you, I want to ask this question. Where is the Spirit calling me to use those gifts? Because it's not enough for us to have self-awareness, to be aware of the gifts. It's not enough to just do that. What we have to do is be the kind of people 
who when we recognize the source of our gift to be the spirit and when we recognize that the only way to use it is in humility is to then step out in courage and begin to use those gifts. So friends, as we sing, I wanna invite you to think through those two questions. Let me pray over you real quick. Father, we are thankful that we get to gather this morning and we ask that in these next few moments you would speak to each one of us in this room. That so many of us look out into the world, we look inside of our church, we look in our businesses and in our homes and we see places where there are needs, things that are just not going the way that we should. And the question that looms over it is, what role do we play in solving that? Do our gifts bring resolution and peace and unity and goodness into the world? And if so, how can we use them? So Spirit, would you speak? Would you help us become aware of the way in which you have gifted us? And would you help us also become aware of the ways in which we can use those gifts in our church, in our homes, in our city, and all throughout the world. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Yeah, Holy Spirit, continue to speak to each of us in this room. Yes, Jesus. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we want to know you more and more. We're hanging on every Open our ears to hear your still small voice. Now sing this. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God, we only want to hear your voice. We're hanging on every word. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of the living God. We want to know you more 
The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. And let us give thanks to the Lord our God. <laughs> Good job. Would you do that right now? Would you, would you close your eyes and give him thanks? Spirit of the living God. Give us eyes to see Jesus. I've been thinking about identity. Lord, my prayer for us, Lord, is that we would find that in you. Not in what we do, not what we've been not doing, but simply how you've made us. Tune our ears to hear your voice, Jesus. Position us in a place, Lord, where we can respond to you. And I think you're saying, eyes up here. So God, we look to you. Thank you for leading us to a table for your, your hospitality to us, Jesus. Your generosity to us. That's what we find at the table we come in communion like this, we become, we become remembered. It doesn't mean that we just remember, just that, that we become a part of the whole again. And Jesus welcomes us. And just like he did so many years ago, he gathered his, his friends around him. And on the night that he was betrayed, he, he took bread and he, after he'd given thanks, he broke it. Would you break this in your hand? And he said, this is my body. What he did then was he physically gave of himself. And what he does now is he spiritually gives to you. He is always in the act of giving to you. So when we receive this gift from him today, would we remember that he is given every good thing has been given to you. Would you receive this gift? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now when I look at, at you, I see my son Jesus. I see the blood that covers you and the sacrifice. What do we know that God says about Jesus? He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And when God looks at you, he sees the same thing. This is my son and my daughter. I am pleased with you. When you drink this cup, would you remember that God is for you. Would you receive this? Thank you, Jesus, for this gift. We can only respond in worship after this. Would you lift your voice in doxology?
July feast, would you open your hands and receive these words this morning? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here. Our altar ministry team will be up front. If you need someone to pray with or simply talk to about what the Spirit is stirring in your life. But one, one thing I need to tell you all before you go, next weekend, how many services are there? Huh? <laughs> one service. It's a family service, which means we will all be packed into one service. And it's at what time? Nine o'clock. We will see you guys next weekend.